This is Blue Wire. Welcome to another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. I am your host, former NFL and AFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. And if you're not already, go ahead and follow my Twitter account at Eric underscore Crocker. Follow the Press Coverage Podcast Twitter account at Press Cub Podcast. Tons of content, tons of technical stuff from wide receivers, defensive backs. I really don't think you get that kind of content, especially from both sides, anywhere else. There are different little Twitter accounts that put out some stuff. Receiver school, really good one, but they don't put out DB stuff, all right? So um, I put out both, and I hope everybody enjoys all that. And I enjoy a lot of the, you know, the back and forth with casual Twitter guys, coaches, players, athletes, man. It's, it's something pretty cool to see. And I also think the the people that follow me, they get a chance to interact with a lot of professional athletes because, you know, they give their opinions as well. So, yeah, if you're not following both of those accounts, please do. Also, uh, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, all that helps. Um, five stars is recommended. <laughs> all right. So um, before I get into anything else, I want to start off by talking about OTAs. And I'll talk about my experience with it. And I'll also kind of touch a little bit on, you know, what's going on with Odell Beckham. And, and I'll start with Odell Beckham Jr. All right. So, you know, obviously he was traded from uh, the New York Giants to the Cleveland Browns. It was a bit of a shocker. I mean, we, we had heard... You know, a bunch of different, like, rumors, but they're just kind of that. And, and you don't think that a megastar, I mean, Odell's a rock star. He's my, my favorite player in the league, and I'm I'm a grown man, and I love watching Odell Beckham, what he meant to, you know, New York and, you know, what he accomplished there. To, to see him just kind of get traded off in his prime at 25, 26 years old, that's not something you see a lot, especially after they just signed him, what, last year, last offseason? They just signed him to a big contract? That was very shocking to kind of see. Now he's with a new team, and they have a young quarterback, Baker Mayfield. They have Jarvis Landry, a guy who Odell played at LSU with. You know, there were teammates there that are like best friends or brothers. Odell's not there. He's missing in action. And, I mean, this is a big season for Cleveland Browns. You know, they, they have a new head coach, Freddie Kitchens. You know, he's installing his new his offense. And, you know, he took over, I want to say, halfway through last year for Hugh Jackson, who had just been whew, terrible. Right. Um, They finished on a strong note. They didn't beat many winning teams. I think maybe Baker Mayfield is like uh, one in six against teams with a winning record. So I don't know how much stock you can put into a lot of um, those wins down the stretch. But um, either way, a young quarterback who's trying to build his confidence and everything and probably his continuity with the the rest of his teammates and the megastar, the rock star is not there. Odell Beckham. He's decided to not be at OTAs. Now, let's talk about, I guess, the plus and minuses, the you know the pros and cons. Are the cons that big of a deal? You know, the, the, the plus, you know, the pros, you get to be there with your teammates, right? And during the offseason, you know, you, you kind of gel together. You kind of build that chemistry. You know, okay, we've been, you know, blood, sweat, and tear. We've been working all you know, off-season together and we're getting ready. Well, Odell, they can't say that about Odell. He's not there, right? He's doing his own thing. He's in Los Angeles. He's training. Now, here are the pros for him. I'm away from the from the team facility and I'm training, right? Because OTAs right now, when you're not there and you're, you know, you well, when you are at OTAs, you want to build your body up to get ready for training camp, right? That, that That's the goal, to learn and build your body up. We see, you know, I touched on it last week with the rookies coming into OTAs and having injuries. So those are the kind of things you want to, you know, prevent from happening with your veteran guys. 
Wodell knows how to take care of his body. He has, you know, one-on-one uh, sessions with his trainer. He's one of the hardest workers uh, in the NFL. There's a lot of hard workers. I don't want to minimize what anybody else is doing. But he, he's a he's an extremely hard worker and takes care of his body in that respect. Uh, the injuries that he has had, um, they've been more freak injuries, you know, maybe like a break or things like that. Not not, not really uh, – he hasn't really dealt too much with the, like, pull muscles since his rookie year. He missed, like, his first four games. Um, of his rookie season with like a hamstring injury and we haven't seen uh, those type of injuries from him since then but um, you know he 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 is somebody that takes care of his body and he comes in and he's prepared now his comments on OTAs was it's not my first rodeo I know what to expect I know what to show up there's not really much more that they can teach me other than learning the verbiage right and maybe they give him a playbook and he's able to learn the verbiage away from the facilities now, his coach, Freddie Kitchens, is not all that thrilled about Odell Beckham uh, not being there. And let me go to his comments. I'm just saying it's better for him to be here uh, when he can present his best self emotionally, physically, and everything. All right. So Freddie Kitchens doesn't sound too excited or too thrilled about Odell Beckham not being in the building. And it's kind of overblown building the chemistry in the offseason with your quarterback. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not a receiver, so it's kind of hard for me to answer that question. I, I should have a, a receiver on. I'm going to ask that. You know, you're going to have your 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 good throws, your misses, and things like that. I've seen quarterbacks come in and, and just hit it off with guys. So it might be a little bit overblown, but I, I think there is some, you know, good to it when you know, when the quarterback knows the guy's movements, you know, if he takes this step, okay, he knows exactly what's coming next. You kind of build those type of things. But we saw in, you know, little videos that they put out from – uh, the mini camp that they had, and Baker Mayfield was throwing the ball before uh, Odell Beckham even got out of his break, and boom, the ball was on the money, caught, catch and run, and so looks like the timing is there, right? Now, who is it more important for, you know, OTAs? The bottom of the roster guys, the Eric Crockers of the NFL, right? The guys that are at the very bottom trying to make it. Every play matters. So when people say OTAs don't matter and don't go all out, that's BS. Because for those guys that are fighting for a roster spot, OTAs definitely matters. Guys get cut every day during OTAs. That might be a little bit extreme, but they're getting cut left and right. Guys are coming in. Guys are going out. You're seeing guys being brought in to work out um, to possibly replace you. (laughs) They're always looking for somebody better. So to say... OTAs doesn't matter. Uh, it, it does. Maybe not as much for somebody like Odell Beckham. Now, another guy that, you know, OTAs is really big for rookies. And not just, you know, rookie skill position players and things like that, but the quarterbacks. All right. So, you know, a, a quick story. Okay, when, when I was a rookie, you know, with the Jets, there was a quarterback battle going on. It was between Geno Smith, who had got drafted in the second round, and you know, we Geno Smith, he kind of slipped to the second round. He was a guy that was projected, you know, first round, and he was out of New York, you know, at the whole drafting. And remember, he stormed out and was, you know, really upset, really angry that he didn't go first round, as he should have been. He got drafted to the Jets. He walks into the building, and now it's like, okay, there's this other guy who has been here for a few years now, Mark Sanchez, uh, you know, former USC you know, quarterback. And, yeah, Mark Sanchez, who has been the guy for Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan even has a tattoo of him on his uh, shoulder. And then you have uh, Geno Smith, who's drafted, 
you know, a, a, a rookie, and it's like, okay, who's going to be the guy? Well, the rookie has to put his best foot forward, and, and he has to do everything he can to make the team. So now he's learning an entire offense. And not only is he learning an, an entire offense, I mean, Geno Smith, now he, he he's in New York. And I saw the stress wear on him. You know, he was always studying. He was always studying his plays, always, you know, working things. I saw him make some throws. He threw one ball to me where it was like, where, where, where the hell are you? Who, who are you? I know you weren't supposed to be throwing it to me, <laughs> you know, but their minds are spinning and so much is going through their minds. She was the very first play of OTAs. This is before they even, um, the rookies even re- reported. The very first play, the very first throw, uh, Mark Sanchez dropped bags, boom, throws a pick six to Landry. Now, not the really big swole Landry, but his brother who had played previously with the uh, Ravens for uh, Rex Ryan and Dennis Thurman and those guys. So, yeah, that Landry. But first play of OTA is pick six. So there, there's a lot of, you know, they're looking into a lot of that stuff. Coaches, the the players, it, it weighs on everybody mentally. It started to kind of, you know, but Geno Smith, it was just so much. You could tell that the offense was so much different than what he had dealt with at West Virginia, um, where it was a you know a lot of stuff was just to get the ball into uh, uh, Tavon Austin's hands at that time, and now you know you you have to like learn a real NFL offense. And I believe the offensive coordinator at that time was Marty Morningwig, right? Um, so quick story. Uh, during OTAs, all the rookies were all in the hotels. So we pretty much, I mean, we just hang out with each other. You know, you, you go to this guy's room, and I was always in the room with uh, the Milliner or uh, Rontez Miles, who's still there. Rontez Miles was an undrafted rookie free agent that year, and he's going on year seven now. I mean, I'm really excited for that guy. Um, he's still with the Jets, <laughs> still with him. All right, but, um, we, you know, we would play Madden and stuff like that. So I go to Geno Smith's room. You know, we're playing Madden. It's just me and him. We're chilling or whatever. We have a little bit of downtime, and I'm kicking his ass. And uh, all of a sudden, he pauses the game, and I'm like, what You know, like, what, what, what are you doing? And he just, like, bends down next to him and pulls out, like, a, a big-ass thing of, like, uh, what's that uh, P. Diddy alcohol? Uh, I can't think of it right now, but, the, the, yeah, like, the smearing off or whatever it is. It was a big-ass thing of some B. Diddy alcohol, and he just started chugging it. And I'm like, dude, you you are, are you okay? Like, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Why are you drinking all that alcohol like that? But that's the kind of stress that even OTAs can put on players, and you know, especially like rookies. So they say OTAs don't matter, or, you know, I, I think it does more for certain players. I think in terms of Odell Beckham, I think they would be fine. I don't think there would be any issues. He's a supreme athlete. One of the top receivers in the league. So that's my take on OTAs and kind of what I think about it. More important for bottom guys, more important for rookies, more important for quarterbacks, not as important for an all-pro receiver. It's downtime right now, so I don't have a whole lot to talk about. But there was something I just kind of noticed. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a 49er fan, so there will be times where I talk about things that pertain to the 49ers. But this is just in general, uh, just something I noticed with Richard Sherman. All right. So... I was just, uh, someone tweeted me and and had, you know, talked about, hey, you know, great podcast. He loves the wide receivers and defensive back content, Um, you know, things that we talk about on this podcast. And he showed this clip of Steve Smith and Richard Sherman. And it was like, 
it was something I noticed during preseason with Richard Sherman, but I, I thought it was something that he was doing to overcompensate for his lack of health, his lack of speed. You know, Richard Sherman had talked about how, you know, last year he was playing on one leg. So I noticed it last preseason. I noticed it throughout the year, but I was thinking, hey, it's just he's just overcompensating for the injury. Well, I saw him doing that, do that in the clip, and that clip was from years ago because that was uh, Steve Smith on the Panthers, so not even on the Ravens. Now, Steve Smith, he's been retired for a couple years now, and before he retired, he was on the Ravens. So this was even before that. This is when Steve Smith was on the Panthers. So, okay, so what I saw Sherman doing, he, he's been doing this, okay? So we, we talk about technique a little bit, right? Especially press technique. You know, obviously you want to understand where your help is. You know, sometimes it's different. I can play outside leverage if I know I have inside help. All right. I can play more inside leverage if I know I want to force the guy to the outside. Well, Sherman, on that clip and something I saw him doing last year, he has this tendency to kind of line up a little bit more head up. And if you're trying to get a visual of this while you're listening to this right now, go ahead and head over to the Press Cove podcast Twitter account, and you'll actually see it because I tweeted out a bunch of clips of it. But he'll line up head up, punch with his inside hand, and turn his like his like his face is facing like the sideline now, and the receiver just gets like an inside release where if he just breaks off a slant, which you will see in those clips, it just is wide open. And it happened a few times. I showed clips of it. Um, there were other times where he just turned and ran and was able to kind of get back on top or get in phase with the receiver. And it was it was just very interesting. So so let's talk a little bit about press technique and kind of what I teach. I was working with this kid that came out here from Seattle. And, you know, I broke down press technique. All right. And to me, there's press, which is an alignment. And then there is... Uh, jamming which is a technique okay press is alignment so i teach press coverage which is an alignment and my thought process on press coverage is i want to stay as close to the receiver throughout the route as closely as possible and force a tight window throw i am not in man coverage or press expecting to get interceptions that should not be what's on your mind because when you do, you end up peaking, and that's when you have bad eyes, and that's when the receiver ends up getting more separation from you. If you happen to be in position while the ball is in the air, now, okay, let your athleticism take over and go get the ball. But when I line up and press, my whole thought process is stay as close to the receiver throughout the route as possible to force a tight window throw. So I'm going to line up and just straight man. We'll just say straight man. Inside leverage split my genitals with his inside foot so I have inside leverage with that body presence and I just kind of want to funnel him outside and then from there I read him down I like to play what I call dick to hip so I'm not too far upfield shoulder but I'm not in a a trail position and 15 yards and in is is all technique 16 yards and and past that is now that's when you let your athleticism take over because it's something downfield and in the air. And we want to force the downfield throw because that is the lowest lowest percentage pass a quarterback can attempt. All right. So that that's kind of – that's a sh- – I'll give examples of that on the Twitter account. But that's just kind of a broad general idea of 
how I teach press cover, press technique, press coverage, and kind of how I view it should be played. Now, the reason why you don't want to get it too far upfield shoulder is because you'll end up having a speed turn if a guy runs a slant and you kind of just give up the inside a little bit too easy. He doesn't have to fight through you. All right, force the fade ball because that is the lowest percentage ball a quarterback can attempt. All right, and if you are in really good position and you're and you're even with the receiver, expect the back shoulder. All right, so that's all I want to talk about. I just want to talk a little bit about what I saw from Richard Sherman and what do we expect from him going forward? And he's coming off of the coming off of an Achilles injury, uh, 31 years old. Can we expect him to get better? He's already been beat a few times deep in OTAs, which I don't want to look too much into that. There's no pads or anything like that, but I saw him getting beat last year too. And I saw it being something that teams that they wanted to, they could have attacked it. So I keep an eye on Richard Sherman. And if it were me, which I'm not a GM, it's probably good I'm not. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe I could be a good GM. But I would move him to strong safety. I think he's a tremendous open field tackler. He's very aggressive, very physical. I think playing strong safety in a single high uh, safety scheme could have him more around the box where he's guarding tight ends or being able to play in zone in his space and use his mind because his mind is still there. He jumps routes and he does these things where he's running step for step with guys because of his mind. But when he has to use that top end athleticism, it's just not there. And that's when he can be had. We'll keep an eye on that. Or Richard Sherman. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design and quality, durable blades at a very fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for the razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that has been making quality blades for over 95 years. So join the 10 men who have already tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. So again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. I'm going to the mailbag segment now. You know, we have a few questions here. And the first one is from my guy, Chesayan Neal. I know his last name is Neal. <laughs> All right. Um, and he asked a question, mediocre offensive line with a top quarterback or top offensive line with a decent system quarterback. The first thing that jumped out to me was system quarterback. And, and to me, I think that most quarterbacks are kind of system quarterbacks. Um, you can be a tremendous uh, quarterback and get you know drafted into a, a, a bad scheme or a bad system that doesn't fit your skill set. And all of a sudden you look very bad. And you probably never recover from it. And you just end up being a lifetime uh, backup. We've seen that a lot. All right. Or you can go to a good system. And, you know, I think uh, a name that kind of gets thrown out a lot is like Tom Brady. Right. He's been with Bill Belichick. Now, I personally think that Tom Brady, just because of who he is and how he is and, and his competitive nature, I think that he would be good in any system. I, I don't think it matters that uh, he's under Belichick. I, I think if it was... Um, I don't know, Tony Dungy's 
you know, I know he's a defensive guy, but whoever ran Denji's offense at the time when he was with the, the Colts or the, or, or, the, or the Buccaneers or, you know, whoever the case is, um, I, I think that he would have been, Tom Brady would have been as successful if he would have had the opportunity. All right. So um, if I have to think what he's talking about, I will say Andy Dalton. All right. We'll, we'll throw him out there. Would I rather have Andy Dalton with a good offensive line um, and a good offensive coordinator or, say, Aaron Rodgers with no O-line? That's it, It's really tough because Aaron Rodgers is so much better than Andy Dalton, and I never want to bet against him. But we've seen that Aaron Rodgers hasn't had a lot of winning success, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, the system and things like that, where... Andy Dalton, if you give him a tremendous offensive line, maybe he's even better, right? I mean, he's had some decent seasons, nothing uh, too crazy, but, you know, he's led the Bengals to the playoffs a few times, and uh, he's had some offensive talent. Man, that's a tough question, man. I I think that's a wash. I think that's a wash. I I think it kind of – everything kind of goes hand-in-hand, and I I know that's kind of taking the easy way out, but that's kind of my – uh, thought process on that. All right. I have a question here from my guy, Ali. Um, as a former player, you know, how do you feel about shortened preseason but extended 18-game regular season? Now, I've actually been a part of an 18-game regular season. When I played in the Arena Football League, we had 18 regular season games, but we had two bye weeks. Um, I don't remember if it felt longer or anything like that because that was all I knew. I just knew I was playing a bunch of games every <laughs> every season. But uh, my body was pretty fine. I, I I don't think I was overly banged up or anything like that. Now, and and I think I, I don't want to take anything away from the NFL, but the AFL, I mean, it, it's really up and down. There are very few breaks during the game. Um, I'm running down on on kickoffs. I'm playing defense. Um, if the other team scores, I'm turning around. I'm blocking on kickoff returns. So. You know, I, I was playing a lot of snaps, and I think I was fine. Now, where the issue comes in with me more than anything with a shortened preseason would be uh, the guys at the bottom of the roster, which now I've been on that part uh, end of it as well, you know, where I, I'm fighting for a starting spot. I need my reps, right? I, I need my reps in, in the preseason to try to make my case for making this uh, 53-man roster. Now, if you shorten the preseason to, say, two games, I mean, what do your starters play? One game and then your backups play less? Or, I, I mean, like, how, there, there are guys that are trying to make a roster and they have to beat out other guys. So I think that ultimately the guys at the bottom of the roster, the guys, you know, the 53, you know, the 40, 40 through 53 um, guys, I think it hurts them. So I'm not for it just because, you know, I feel for those younger guys. But say if I were a 10-year veteran, I probably <laughs> I probably wouldn't care, you know, if they shortened it. But hey, extending the games, there's, you know, you would have to compensate that as far as, you know, more pay and all type of different things. So I, I guess just in a broad answer, um, I would lean towards no because I just kind of think it's unfair for some of the guys at the bottom of the roster who are trying to, 
you know, make a roster. And it kind of it really would take away a lot of opportunity for some guys. And some guys I think that can really play, they probably wouldn't get that opportunity to even show themselves. All right. Um, here's a, another question from Michael M. Nugget 5. Uh, best D- DB duos in the league and best wide receiver du- duos in the league. All right. Uh, a guy named Eric, you know, he answered and he said, uh, DB duo Jacksonville, wide receiver duo Minnesota. Hmm. I will not disagree with the DB duo. I think Jacksonville definitely. I mean, AJ Bouye and Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey's top corner in the league, one or two. I mean, just on a play-to-play consistent basis. If, if I just need, say I needed one game and I can pick one cornerback in the entire league, it would be Jalen Ramsey. And I would be just fine with him shadowing and you know guarding whoever he has to guard. All right. So um, definitely... I'm going to have to go with them. And I really like Bouye um, as the guy playing alongside him. Wide receiver duo. Hmm. I mean, obviously, I, w- I would say Juju and Antonio Brown last year, but they're not there anymore. You might have to say Minnesota because, I mean, they have two guys that are arguably top 10 receivers. Now, whether they are top 10, I, you know, you guys said no. <laughs> you guys did vote Thielen in, but you guys didn't vote uh um digs in when we did our uh Twitter votes or whatever. But uh arguably two top ten receivers. So yeah, Eric, you're right. Jacksonville D B duo, uh Minnesota wide receiver duo. All right. And uh I believe this is my last or oh, I have two more questions. If you can have any four receivers oh and this is from Lionel. Uh if you can have any four receivers to build a team, who would you get? Criteria has to be one all-time great, two good receivers, one underrated receiver. All right. Now, there's different, like, levels to this underrated. Is it, like, underrated all-time receiver or just in general? All right. So, I'd say all-time great, I have to go with Jerry Rice just because his work ethic and the way that he prepared for games, it was just second to none. His uh, mentality as far as attacking games and preparing his body, I think that would help, you know, other guys. And, yeah. So that, that that's, I, I you know what? And there's been a lot of disrespect, I feel, towards Jerry Rice as far as his overall game. And, you know, guys put, uh, they, they, they put him in this box as if he was just some just guy that just, oh, he's just a possession guy. I, I think that's how they look at guy, look at Jerry Rice. But it's like, dude, they, they created yards after catch after Jerry Rice because what he was doing with the ball in his hands, you know, after he caught the ball. Um he was jumping over guys, you know. I, I, yeah, not Randy Moss, but similar to it. I mean, it, he was jumping over guys and catching balls. I mean, the dude was so dynamic, and he, and he made so many plays. It's so crazy to me that people put him in this box as if he was just some kind of regular ass, um, as if he was just some kind of regular ass possession receiver. Dude was a monster. All right, so anyways, all-time great uh, would be him. Now, two good receivers. Now, this guy is kind of borderline Hall of Fame, so I don't know if he if he's just in the good. But my two guys would be Ch- Chad Johnson, who Chad Ocho Cinco, who I think was tremendous, and another one I would say Tory Holt. All right, so I have Jerry Rice, Tory Holt, and Chad Johnson. And for the underrated receiver, somebody that isn't really talked about a lot, um, this kind of a throwback guy as well. I would say Herman Moore. Uh, 
I really like Herman Moore. You know, I don't even know if he's talking about good receivers right now or previously, but th- those are the guys I would have. Jerry Rice, Chad Johnson, uh, Torrey Holt, and Herman Moore. All right. And for the last question, all right, to help with, uh, what are the dynamics between DBs and wide receivers from your time with the Jets? What are the dynamics between DBs? Uh... Was there a confrontation or was it pretty good business to personal relationships? You know what, man? Um, That's actually a good question. I've always looked at receivers as, and I think everybody does, like they're kind of like divas. And they and they kind of are. Like like re- receivers, they kind of remind me of basketball players. And basketball players, you know, if you've been to college and they, they kind of walk around with this different kind of swag, like, I want to say, like, they think they're better than everybody, but kind of like that. Well, receivers, even with my time at the Jets, even though I was really close with my guy, Joe Collins, still my buddy, um, but a lot of the receivers, they kind of just walk around like, I'm I'm that guy, <laughs> you know, and they just carry themselves like that. So there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue between DBs and receivers, especially, like, on the field. I mean, their fights were breaking out. Uh, Vidal Hazleton, I remember him. And Antonio Comardi getting into it big time, a big time fight during training camp. Um, wide receivers and DBs, man. I mean, I didn't really care for them while I was there, except for my guy Joe Collins. And I mean, it, there were some cool ones, but there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue between the two. Um, you know, we didn't work out together. Uh, you know, they split up offense and defense. So while while offense was working out, defense was in meeting rooms. This is like during OTAs and stuff. While defense was working out, offense was in meeting rooms. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to kind of like build a, a rapport with those guys. So, yeah, man, I mean, once you saw them, it was like, I'm going to beat this dude's ass today, <laughs> period. Like on the field, between the lines, after the snap, I mean, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole lot of love between wide receivers and DBs. Now, that was my experience, and I've only been on one NFL team. So I can't speak for every locker room, but that was just kind of what I noticed during my time with the New York Jets. There wasn't any love lost between the two positions. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure you guys follow the Twitter account at Press Cub Podcast. Tons of content, like I said in the intro. And I appreciate all the love and support, and I'll keep it coming. Got some uh, great guests. Coming up, uh, former NFL players, coaches, all that right here on the Press Coverage Podcast.